Welcome to Closer Look. I'm Maria Morgan. Divorce. Nobody goes into marriage thinking it'll happen to them, but sometimes it does. And around 70% of divorces are filed by wives. Wanted or not, men handle a split differently from women. Closer Look's Ed Lenane talks to a man who knows all about it and reaches out to help others going through it. After a marriage breaks up, women tend to have a better time than men coping. Women usually have closer friendships, better support systems. Not so much for men, especially if he didn't want a divorce. Husband and pastor Dr. Dale Brown was one of those guys. He was served with papers back in October of 2015. Dr. Brown, thanks for joining us. This kind of thing can throw a, a person into a deep depression. Is that what happened to you? It did happen to me. I know many, many people through 30 plus years of ministry. And uh, when my wife left me, then I was hammered with loneliness and anger and, you know, some depression and a lot of thoughts that just weren't healthy thoughts at all. And I was surprised about how few people reached out to me. And in those moments, that's when I really determined that no man should have to go through what I was going through without some significant help to get them through it. And uh, God called me to uh, push into that and to turn something that was really, really uh, the worst experience of my life into something that can be helpful to other people and other guys going through divorce, you know, for the sake of not just those men who are going through divorce, but for all the people they influence and uh, the future, their future wife, their future spouse, just to, to help them. Uh, become the men that God wants them to be. Well, there are a lot of books out there about divorce and divorce recovery, but kind of sounds like you found most of them unhelpful. Well, there is, uh, there are many ministries for divorced people and you'll find those, you know, in churches and everything. But I think that the, that men's journeys are significantly different from women's journeys of life and spirituality that the needs of men are unique and, and need to be addressed in a little different way because the pain of divorce and just pain that comes to men in general is experienced by men differently than it is by women. And what we are allowed to do with that pain has different levels of expression and acceptance of how we express our pain in our culture today. Uh, in general, men are not uh, really given permission to hurt and to express their pain. And if they, do express their pain, which is usually the man's way, which is either anger or silence, then that is shut down um, pretty quickly. So I, I think the issues of, of how men handle pain uh, are the bigger issues. Divorce is, is one of those things that just hammer into a guy's life and create, you know, extensive pain, whether that man caused that divorce himself or is the victim of, you know, a divorce. So the issue really, I think, is how we handle pain. Well, I would think the impact varies based on the length of time of the marriage as well, right? I think it really does. Um, right now, we're seeing a lot of uh, a big increase in uh, what's called gray divorce. So middle age and even later middle age uh, men and women, couples getting divorced. And that you know, length of that time that you have spent with somebody is pretty significant in how that pain is experienced. And when you spent, in my case, 32 years with somebody raising children, and doing lots of ministry, not just in the U.S., but around the world. And, uh, you know, it hurts uh, more deeply. Not to say that a guy that's been uh, married three years doesn't really hurt as well. Divorce pain is just, it just hurts all the way around. Dr. Brown, the legendary craftsman emblem has a special meaning to you personally and to your ministry to divorced men. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about that? Well, you know, when Katrina hit uh, the Gulf Coast and just ravaged that area, we were, uh, I was pastoring a church up in New England, 
and we had this amazing woman in our church that said, God has told me we're going to bring Thanksgiving dinner, the New England Thanksgiving dinner, to somebody, some church in that area that's been hit. So uh, we teamed up with the church in uh, Mississippi, Lakeshore, Mississippi, and uh, we went down there uh, to scout that out in November. The hurricane hit in September, and then we were there in November. And I remember uh, walking through that community, which was just gone. I mean, the storm surge there was like 27 feet, and it just took everything away. Uh, you just think of 27 feet of water above you where you're standing and the winds and the wave. And uh, at one particular house uh, where, where a house had been, I looked down and there was this craftsman emblem, something all of us would recognize, all of us guys, as uh, you know that little thing that's stuck on a toolbox. And I thought, how in the world did this emblem survive a 27-foot storm surge and, and all that wind and all that destruction? And, you know, that little emblem became uh, really a symbol for me that if this thing can survive that kind of destruction, then I can survive too. And since that day in 2005, that, that uh, emblem has sat on my desk. And when I'm having a hard time or when I'm sitting with uh, some people who are having a hard time, well, then I look at that and, and think about the uh, survival possibilities that I have. If uh, God can bring this emblem through, then he can bring me through as well. I'm Ed Linane, and this is Closer Look. We're talking with Dr. Dale Brown, author, chaplain, talking, in fact, about the struggles of divorce, particularly from men since they tend to have little or no social support. Well, you talk about surviving, and I understand there are different stages of divorce, so let's talk about those a little bit. Well, you know, I, I think there are seven stages of divorce, and they kind of follow the Kubler-Ross five stages of grief. And the first is shock, and that is when you are just stunned. I remember when I was met by my wife um, at our church after I'd been gone for two weeks on a teaching trip to Kenya and Tanzania. She met me when I arrived and told me while I was gone, she had left me and moved out. And I was, I can't even describe shock. There just are not words to describe what happened at that time. And the question I think that hits us is what just happened? You know, what in the world just hit me? Um, the second stage I, is just raw pain. And, you know, philosophers and poets and songwriters try to describe what raw and sheer pain is, but there just are not words to describe that kind of pain. And I think it's important to recognize that men feel that kind of pain. We feel grief. Uh, we hurt deep in our soul. Uh, I've heard of people crying with such agony that it was difficult for them to catch their breath. Uh, and you know what? I experienced that same kind of grief, for the, really, for the first time. And so that, that raw pain is, is hopefully a short-lived sort of thing. Um, but it is true. And I think the question that we are asking ourselves then when we're in the middle of that pain is, you know, why me? Why did this happen to me? Whatever the source of that pain. Then the uh, third stage is really anger and bargaining. And this is a little different for a man who's going through divorce because most men, no matter the circumstances, they get a little desperate and want to try to make a stab at getting their uh, wives back. In fact, uh, the men I've worked with have always wanted to get their wives back. And so a man going through divorce is struggling with anger at what happened, and especially as he begins to feel these losses that just start to pile up, financial and identity, and you know, just, you're just humiliated. So anger's piling up, but at the same time, you really can't express it because you're also trying to think of ways to get your wife back, and you know if you explode, then that's just going to drive your wife away. So the question really you're looking at there is, why did she reject me? You know, you know for some men, that's easy. <laughs> that's an easy uh, question to answer. But others, like me, I was flummoxed by this and trying to figure it out. A fourth stage is just isolation, loneliness, and depression when uh, the full weight of what has happened sinks into a guy and he realizes that uh, there's not going to be reconciliation or you can't 
you manipulate or control or try to get your wife to come back by something that you do, then uh, we tend to isolate. And men really do isolate. This is women are the social creatures. We, as men, because we're competitive, you know, from by nature, we're not good at shoulder to shoulder stuff. We're good at uh, running ahead of the pack and, you know, we got to get the girl. There's only one girl to get. So it's, that's not a team sport. You know, we got to get the food. You know, we're competitive. And so the embarrassment, the shame, the anger drives us into isolation. And that can really turn into uh, depression. And, you know, for a man, especially if you have children and so much identity is wrapped around, you know, our identity as father and husband. And even guys who probably would do, could do a lot better in those departments, they want to think that they are a good father, a good husband. Nobody wants to think of themselves as being bad at those two roles. So when those things go away, then we really struggle with this question, who am I? Who am I? So there's shock, pain, anger, isolation. Then things start to get a little better. <laughs> you know, and I, I, you know, I, I think the fifth stage is turning the corner, and I'd call that more of a pivot. Uh, when life seems to start to not get so terrible, when you're not thinking quite as much about what happened, you know, the gray, stormy clouds of pain and depression, loneliness, they get, they lift a bit and glimmers of hope are coming in that you're going to make it. Uh, there's some re- returning self-confidence and that anger is decreasing in frequency and intensity. And it's at that point, and this is on into this this is a year or two into this whole uh, this whole event. But I think the question there is, what could be my in my future? You start to see yourself as somebody different than uh, the husband of uh, your ex-spouse. And then the sixth stage is reconstruction, and that's a pretty intense time when uh, you know you're really thinking about what can my future look like. And it's at this stage that a lot of people, men and women alike, start to try on a new identity. You know, for me, I've been married 32 years. I was a pastor and a husband and a dad. And all those things of identity that I counted on were were stripped away or greatly diminished and and very painfully so. So I had to ask myself, well, who am I going to be? And for the first time, I had the option. You know, I could be something other than a godly pastor or a or a husband or whatever. And uh, that's when men can really make some poor choices as to, uh, as to who they're going to be in the future. But so the question for that period is who is God and what does he desire from me and for me? And it's really here that I want men to choose to turn to God and really let him uh, show them what their mission is for life. Because I firmly believe that uh, men can finish well and uh, men can have a second half of life that is better and more meaningful than their first half of life. And usually that's a transition we have to make in the journey of men in our spiritual lives and as we interact with God. Usually we have to be beat up a little bit uh, in life, and then we get humble enough to find a God who's big enough uh, to pull us back together. And if we submit to Him and follow Him, then then we find an identity that's healthy and strong. And the last one is just acceptance and hope. This, this thing is not going to come back together. Our marriage is done. I accept my part in it. I have found my purpose in God and can pursue his, his purpose for me. So that last question there is how far will God take me? And uh, I can absolutely assure anybody that's going through divorce right now, don't forget or Uh, Maybe I should say, always remember, God has plans for you that can be amazing and can take you places you never would have dreamed at all. And it may seem really hard when you're in that pit of despair, but boy, the Bible is just full of stories of people, guys who are stuck in the middle of 
of being stripped of everything, and then God takes him at that place and takes that humble man and turns him into something that's amazing for the world. And that's really the goal is to take a guy who's at the bottom and let God reach in and pull this guy up and let him become, you know, a significant and helpful person in the in the future for his kids, for a future spouse, and for the community at large. So what you're saying is sometimes we got to hit rock bottom to look up? So true. I mean, really for men, it takes pain to humble us. And uh, as Richard Rohr says in his uh, wonderful information related to the spiritual journeys of men, most men, in fact, he really says all men, I would agree that all men at some point in midlife hit what he calls a crisis of limitation. And that's where the tower you built for yourself is pulled down. You know, it's, it can be through job loss or through the death of a child, or in our case, we'd say for divorce. And at that point, men have three choices. They can continue to try to be the man, you know, to try to live in that first half of life. That usually doesn't work real well. The second choice is to just become bitter. And I think most men who go through this stage just feel like their dreams have been demolished. And at that point, they say, I give up. I'm done with it. And those turn into bitter men who don't really give much to the world except, you know, this bitterness. The third stage really is just humbling ourselves before God and saying, you know what, God, your story is a lot better than mine. I tried to I tried to run my own show, and it's a pretty crummy show. No one's coming anymore. But, uh, but God, your show is big. I don't get to be the star of this show. Uh, but I will willingly submit to you as the author of this of this play, and uh, and I'll be an actor, and I will do it gladly. And those are the guys who we all respect. If we as men look back on who we respect in our lives, it's men who have really humbled themselves before God, and in that humility, God has lifted those men up. They become elders that we respect and want to be like. This is Closer Look. I'm Ed Lenane. We're talking with Dr. Dale Brown. Dr. Brown, you point out men typically lack constructive ways to express themselves. They go deeper into the cave after something like unwanted divorce. What would you say about social media like Facebook during this time? Good idea? Bad idea? Well, that is a great, <laughs> a great question. Uh, when I was going through this, it, the divorce came on the heels of some other really unexpected bad things that happened in my life. And uh, one day I just went on Facebook, on Facebook page. I'm not a huge Facebook guy, but I went on. I just sort of raged a bit. And uh, I found out that that's not something that people appreciate very much. But, you know, I, you know, somehow men have got to have the freedom to express their pain. Social media is not the place to do it. You know, it's not the place to say anything negative about the people in your life. It's not the place to rag on your spouse, uh, all those things will live out there forever and will not be a good reflection um, on you, and especially for your kids. How do you want your kids to, rem to, to remember you? And I think that's something to keep in mind through all this, whether you're on social media or just talking to your kids or talking to friends, placing value on what our children are thinking can really uh, mitigate some of the anger and flame. So you're, that's why men really need, I think, don't go to social media. That's not going to help you. You need a good, trusted friend who's not going to go take you to the strip club. You need a good, godly man who's going to help you get through this. You need to find a pastor in a church. You need to find uh, a therapist, a counselor, and, and you're probably going to need a lawyer as well. So social media is not the place to air your grievances. Do that in, in a very private setting with a few trusted people. And on that note, how can men come alongside other men going through divorce? What kind of real help can we offer? That is, uh, that's a really great question and something I feel passionately about. And the reason is we just don't know what to do with divorced people, uh, men or women. And the reason is 
is let's just compare death and divorce. When somebody dies, we all know what to do. Our culture knows what to do. They say, I'm send a note, call, whatever, I'm sorry. They come to the memorial service, you know, they get flowers, they may bring some food. A few days later, they send a card. Divorce is a death that just keeps living. And because, and I, I was really flummoxed with this because, you know, I, had, I often thought if I had put on my Facebook page, I was just diagnosed with terminal cancer. I would have had, in my circle of friends, 500 people emailing, texting me, calling me, all these things on Facebook, whatever. But when a guy gets divorced, when I went through this, I was stunned at the lack of people, the number of people that reached out to me. I was just a few out of all the people I know. And I really thought about that. Why is that? And the reason is simply that when someone gets divorced, a couple gets divorced, then their friends, family, they don't know what to do with that. Friends and family, they don't know how to handle it. They don't know whether to congratulate you or console you. They don't know the circumstances. And added to that, there's usually an element of choice in there. Well, there is an element of choice. And so, you know, friends and family, uh, you know, are not sure whose fault it is, you know. And uh, they also know if they start prying and probing and asking or acting like they care, then this can really turn into a, a tangled up mess. But given that, then it is important to reach out to a man going through divorce and a woman as well. Those social dynamics isolate men and women going through divorce. So I have a, a few things I really tell people to do. I say initiate. If you hear one of your friends is going through divorce, don't wait for him to come to you. You go to him. And just say something that, hey, I heard that you're thinking about going through or in the middle of a divorce, whatever the situation, and just wait for a, a response. And, you know, hurt people hurt people. You may get a real flaming response back, but don't give up. If that friend in your life, your brother, your sister, your coworker, that guy responds in a way that's open and moving forward, then just sit and listen. You know, we, we love to fix things. We love to fix people. This is not the time to do that. You just sit and listen to this guy rage or try to explain it to himself or explain it to you. Um, you know, talking is therapy. It's just the way God made us. So that guy talking to you and, and spilling his or her heart out to you is really important. Then just affirm, I think, to men that men do actually feel we experience pain and that's okay. Uh, having strong emotions is not an unmanly thing. Just read the Bible, read David, read Jeremiah, read any of these men in the Bible who express strong emotions. And then point them to sources of help. You know, if someone, if a guy is thinking of suicide or homicide, which are, which are very likely that they are, shoot them to the suicide prevention hotline, 800-273-8255. You know, uh, if they're thinking of homicide, then, you know, the same number works, you know. <laughs> Uh, and, it, and I, I really think we underestimate uh, where men go and, uh, and the suicide and homicide are sometimes for men really viable options. And that's a scary place to be. Then just stick with them, you know, promise to stick with the guy. And that's what I, I remember when I went through a divorce, I have some great friends who are pastors and, and one of them called me up and really helped me, you know, a couple months after uh, my wife left me. But then, you know, six months later, out of the blue, he calls me up. He says, hey, Dale, you know, I just was thinking about you. And, man, that meant so much to me because he, it, it told me that he understood that this, was not gonna, this pain was not going to go away quickly, that recovery is a long journey. And so I really appreciate him. So I tell people, you know, even if, if a guy pushes you away, just, you know, a couple months later, check in. How are you doing? Available for lunch, whatever. I think those are really important things. And that's not unmanly or 
saying it's not a sign of weakness. It's just a sign of being human. We need people with us along the long journey of recovery from whatever pain we're in. Talking with Dr. Dale Brown, who after suffering his own painful divorce, wrote the Daily Survival Guide for Divorced Men. It's a 90-day devotional. You know, a lot of stuff we've talked about is in the book, but what's something we haven't touched on that you want men to know? I would say that the goals of your goals at this moment are to not, the first thing is don't make things worse. Because when you're going through divorce, let's say that you as the guy feel like maybe you had an affair or some other thing, you feel like you're the cause of this divorce and you recognize that you're going to be angry at yourself. You're going to be sad. You're going to be frustrated. Let's say that you feel like you're the victim, that, that this was her decision. And what happens when, uh, when we feel like those things is that we are tempted to do uh, bad things. We will either you know, turn to drugs, we turn to alcohol, turn to pornography. Uh, we may flare with uh, great temper tantrums. Uh, these things make it worse. So, so I, I think if you're going through it right now, you need to tell yourself every day, whatever happens today, whatever I feel like today, I am not going to do things, make decisions, act in ways that make things worse. Um, the second thing is just invest time with God. I mean, this is your chance to, to really find the Lord. You may not know God at all. And if you don't just say, hey, God, I'm just going to get up 30 minutes early today and I'm going to sit with my Bible. I'm going to read Psalms or uh, John, the book of John in the New Testament, and just see what you do. And I guarantee you, God's going to show up. You'll be stunned. Uh, this is right at the place where God takes men and uh, transforms them. Some other things I'd just suggest are just lower your expectation of what you can accomplish. There's no way that you're going to be as productive at your, in your life, at your work, and this is just a time to, uh, to accept those things just to get through. Fourth thing is just simply invest in your children. You know, uh, children suffer all around the world from adult decisions that are bad. And uh, divorce is something that happens because of uh, adult decisions, not because of children. So those kids really got to hear that you love them. They don't need to hear uh, you ragging on your spouse at all. That is completely unhelpful and really take energy away from them. You need to reassure them that they're going to be okay, that they're going to be cared for, that they will have food and a place to live. You know, if you think you're struggling with your emotions, then you got to realize your kids are struggling with those uh, emotions even worse. And a lot of times kids get quiet and silent. As a pastor, I would ask couples going through divorce, they say, well, how are your kids? And they say, well, they're, they're doing okay. And I say, well, how do you know that? And I say, well, they're not saying much, you know? And my response is, well, if you and I have a hard time at the age of 30, 40, 50, 60, if we have a hard time finding words for our emotions that are very strong, you know, what do you, how do you think your kid's doing? They just don't have the words to wrap around what they're feeling deep in their soul. And this is when they really need adults to step in and just love them for who they are, reassure them, and really get them into counseling. That's not really an option for kids going through divorce. They need to get some help. And then just on a couple of practical things, I suggest sweating. Exercise is amazing. <laughs> it can help you so much get through divorce and take some of the anger away. And sleeping well is another important thing. These are self-care kinds of things. And then don't waste your money, your energy on anxiety, drugs, alcohol, pornography, buying stuff, escaping to the Caribbean. All those things are stupid and they make things worse. So don't make things worse.
Dr. Dale Brown, certainly appreciate you helping us take a closer look at the unique needs of men going through divorce. Appreciate the opportunity, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing how God's going to use everything to help guys finish well. Again, the book is called The Daily Survival Guide for Divorced Men. For Closer Look, I'm Ed Lenane. Thanks, Ed. Next, Closer Look pastors Dave and Bill have a couple of tips for steering clear of divorce. Hey, Bill, what is communication and marriage. I'm a married man. You're a married man. Why is it so difficult sometimes? We fall into a trap. You know, we we have these phrases in our heads. I think that is she always and he nevers or she never and he always, you know, we, we kind of go along those lines where we, a lot of times we have a lot of unresolved conflict. Or we have a lot of bad habits that we fall into and, you know, kind of our pet peeves or pet projects that we uh, we like to tend to uh, to focus on. So I think that's one of the biggest issues. It's, it's really what I would kind of call it attitudinal. We assume things. We assume the other person knows what we're thinking. <laughs> the whole situation's a mess now. And you're now you're you're cleaning up and you go, well, I thought you knew we were going to go do that. No, didn't we didn't have that conversation. But in, in my mind, we had that conversation. So sometimes I think assumptions, maybe even taking for granted a little bit, you know, we live with the person, we're together all the time, and you just assume that everybody's happy, everybody's communicating, and, and they just take that person for granted. Oh, so true. I, you know, I think another challenge is just distractions. We have so much going on in our lives. Our lives are so busy, and I think a lot of times it's hard just to, just to slow down, to be present in the moment, and to spend that time with your spouse. It's just so critical. Well, what can we do then? I mean, what can we do to enhance communication? With our spouses. I like to look at a marriage, uh, a man and a wife as kind of the CEO and CFO of the family business. <laughs> you know, so something that stands out to me is just simply sitting down, having a staff meeting. You know, it sounds a little formal. It's kind of a business model, but, you know, just sitting down and taking care of the family business, you know, looking at things like the calendar. Maybe you have kids that are involved in athletics uh, or music or, or other activities at the church. And sometimes we just take for granted that we're on the same page with the calendar. Wouldn't necessarily be an exciting meeting per se, but necessary to get together, plan out the week and avoid the assumptions. <laughs> Even the social calendar. Don't forget the Smiths are going to be over on Wednesday and right. we got to, you know, go out of town and my parents are going to be over on Friday, you know, or whatever's going on, you know, because it's in the tyranny of the urgent of life. I think that, you know, conflict comes up and we get on the, the wrong page. I, I think another thing we could do with these staff meetings is take care of the family finances. Mm, yeah. You know, look at where are we at on our budget. Most every woman has a need for security and, and men do too, of course, with, you know, in, in the areas of finances. So sometimes there's a lot of conflict that comes around that. And so a staff meeting would be a great opportunity to get on the same page. Helps to talk about, it's, it's an expectation. You know, what is your expectation about where the finances are going? So then you have the same goals it, it, and that's a good meeting. Um, but it seems like we need more than that. I and mean, what can we do to, you know, enhance the relationship? Yeah, I put some fun back into into the marriage. And, you know, if we can set aside the business, I think that we can get together and in a date night, really just kind of bond together, just connect with each other. Look eyeball to eyeball with things that are settled out a little bit, maybe over a meal or a picnic in the park or, you know, something along those lines, just to connect, to go back to the time when you were dating, that time when you just hung on every word that your spouse was sharing and a time when uh, you were just connecting at a heart level. And so I, I would say date night's an important one. Yeah, I think the, the differentiating between the two is huge. The date night, 
versus a staff meeting and making sure to the best of your ability, they're not mixing together. You got to take that time to talk about your interests, talk about your heart, what's going on inside of of you, you know, asking those questions that are going to bond you guys. I think also you can have a lot of fun during the date night, you know, get back to dreaming together, planning a family vacation, or what does retirement years look like, or what's something that would excite you? Anything that stimulates closeness and, and makes you think about your life together. In addition to that, I think what should be part of a date night um, and really a daily routine is praying to one another too. Well, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, when we align our hearts with God and when we hear our spouse just praying, uh, you know, to God, we also put a really cool habit into our life where we I, we have a prayer hug. It's a 60 second prayer over the day where I just pray over my wife and give her a hug. And just uh, what's really cool is we're able to bookend our day in prayer and and just find that peace, you know, before we go to bed. And then as we get the day started to just unite together and encourage each other. You know, it's hard to leave conflict on the table when you know you're going to you're making a goal to pray every day knowing that you're going to come into that you're going to have maybe a quick thing hey I'm sorry you know I want to pray for you and I don't want anything to hinder our prayers or hinder what God wants to do in our relationship so before we pray I just have to apologize or at least talk it out and uh, and that kind of helps keep us close that way so true. You know, I think when we're talking about communication and marriage just uh, spending that time together taking care of that family business uh, that date night and then the prayer together, boy, if we can accomplish those things, uh, I think we can just really grow together with our spouses and just uh, stay connected. And a good verse that goes along with what this topic of communication, Proverbs thirteen seventeen says, reliable communication permits progress. And that's our show. Big thanks to our guests and big thanks to our Closer Look producer, Brad England. I'm executive producer and Closer Look host, Maria Morgan. Would love to have you here next week for another Closer Look. Closer Look.